Okay, thank you. Great song for the new year. Let's get to higher ground. That'd kind of be strange if they said, let me go down to lower ground. But have you ever taken a hike and noticed that it's a little bit easier to go downhill than uphill? And so it was a great picture. Certainly we know we need God's strength as we talked about this morning in order to make progress up and not go down. And I remember several years ago I was in Marble, Colorado at the Treasure Mountain Bible Camp. I was taking a hike on a bunch of switchbacks going up one of the mountains there all alone. And I got attacked by a grouse. Uh, you say, what's that? I don't know. It's some kind of bird. And it, uh, I must have gotten close to a nest or something. And the thing came right at me. Now listen, when you're a city boy and a grouse just runs right at you, you freak out. You think you're being attacked by a man-eating bird. But anyway, and I started running downhill. Do you know that's a really bad thing to do, to run downhill? And I'm telling you, before long, I lost my feet and I was going headlong. And I'm telling you, I, for about a week, I, I could hardly go to bed. I was so sore, it rattled my cage. But anyway, I don't know why I said that. Okay, want to go up, not down. Okay, that's the idea. So thank you for the song and I appreciate uh, that. Well, let's go to Philippians chapter 4, a text we looked at briefly this morning. I feel in a certain way I wish I could uh, fully finish what we talked about this morning. And maybe this text will help us at least continue to deal with that wonderful truth of quietness and confidence that's where your strength's going to be. We're going to get our strength from quietness and confidence. I reference this verse in regard to that. And I'd like us to spend a few moments just uh, thinking about this in light of the fact we're about to go out. And of course, I don't know about you, what we need in these next moments is we need God. You know what I'm talking about? When you go out and knock on somebody's door, even if they've been here and you have a friendly open door, you need God. You need God to show up to work in this situation and to open doors. Now, a moment ago, Mark and Ariel mentioned the word they were expecting. They were expecting. Isn't it funny we never ask the question, what are you expecting? Okay, but they ask that. Uh, so our people say that, I'm expecting, and we all know that means. What are you expecting? Well, a baby. In this case, a baby girl. Uh, and um, I, I would assume that when the, the delivery room and that little baby is born, uh, that there's not going to be a freak out thinking, uh, what, what, what happened here? Okay, uh, because you should be expecting a little girl. And if a little girl is that which is born, that's exactly what you're expecting. And there's a lot of rejoicing. Now, my wife and I did have an experience where we got something we weren't expecting in the delivery room. Uh, because this is back when uh, ultrasounds were grainy. You remember that? When they were grainy, they'd say, you're seeing a baby. I didn't see anything. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. I remember those uh, about um, uh, 25 years ago, those uh, ultrasounds. And uh, remember, we went into doctor. Of course, we were having to go to doctors on the road. It was a very unusual experience. And the doctor said, you're going to have a boy. Okay, you're going to have a boy. So that's what I got ready for. In my mind, I had a boy. I bought myself a little pair of gym shoes, a little Reeboks, put them on my desk just to remind me I was going to have a little boy. Kind of freaked me out a little bit to think I was going to be a father, but nonetheless. And then, of course, many of you know the story. Uh, at uh, 1.41, I think it was, or 42 in the morning, uh, there on August 27th down in Greenville, South Carolina, Stephanie was born. And I'll never forget when the doctor said very calmly, it's a girl. And I thought, it's a girl. Uh, it was not what we were expecting. Okay, but anyway, and uh, I put that little girl in my arms, and I was sold. Okay, big time, sold. Okay, so I will tell you, Mark and Ariel, you're much luckier than you realize. Uh, my mantra the rest of my life has been, who needs ornery little boys when you can have ornery little girls? Okay, that's the way it goes. And uh, so God's given me three, and I'm telling you, I have loved parenting girls. I think it's great because you get to spoil them. Okay, but uh, then my wife gets to do the tough part. Okay, but anyway, I'm just teasing, kind of. But anyway, so, uh, uh, but expecting, 
See, they're expecting a little girl. I will say if a little boy is born, they're going to have a little bit of a shock. You know what I'm, talk what I'm talking about? I'm not saying it's going to happen because uh, I don't know about you, but what ultrasounds I've seen today kind of look like a video. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like you can see every detail. It's, uh, and uh, they do say, by the way, this is a little side point, that millennials are far more likely to be against abortion than people older than them because of technology. Technology has blown away the abortions uh, uh, argument. Because everybody knows when you do an ultrasound, that's a little baby in there. It's not a mass of cells. It's a little baby in there. And so technology is actually one of those issues that uh, millennials and Gen Zers are far more likely uh, to understand the problem with abortion. But anyway, that's a side point. But the point is, uh, obviously, when all those of you that have experienced birth know you're expecting. You're expecting something, and you're not shocked when it happens, okay? A little girl come, I was born, you're, you're all excited about it. That's what you were told you're going to have. Okay, so here's the key to quietness and the key to confidence, and that's the idea of expecting, expecting. So my question would be, what, what are you expecting? Do you remember when we talked about Major Ian Thomas and he came after seven years of powerless Christianity, two years of almost ceaseless effort in Christian work with nothing to show for it? Do you remember when he met with God, God came to absolute despair and God took the word of God that he knew and began to just, just give him verse after verse after verse about Christ who is our life? And it was literally a moment where the Holy Spirit taught him a truth that was life-changing and a truth which marked the rest of his ministry. He went all across the globe uh, giving the gospel to the saint, the fact that Jesus is our life. And he prayed a little prayer after God revealed that to him and he took that by faith and said, God, I believe you're my strength, you're my wisdom, you're my enabler, you know, all those things. We just briefly read his testimony. He didn't read the whole thing for time's sake, but a lot of his testimony. And then he got up and what did he do? Don't miss this. He expected he expected God to be everything he had just claimed him to be based on the Word of God. So what's the key for just a few moments? And the answer is, we need to go out expecting. Are you with me on that? We need to go out expecting. Now the baby may not be born tonight, but we might be a part of the process of that baby being born. Are you with me on this? To use change analogies, we might plant the seed, we might water the seed, and hopefully tonight, in some cases, somebody's going to harvest the seed. Now, one of the things I have certainly found over the years is God is working in, I believe, everybody's life to get them ready to get saved. He's ripening the harvest is what the, the Bible tells us, the Lord Jesus said. He's working in people's lives to prepare them for the gospel. One of the joys, in fact, recently out of joys, talking folks who are part of our church now, got saved two years ago, some of you know what I'm talking about, but we just talked to them recently. And it was fun to talk about the backstory. How did God prepare your heart? And to hear what God had done to prepare them uh, when they came to the program and then had the gospel follow-up with the book of John, how God had prepared them for the gospel. See, that's what God's always doing. And tonight, you know what we need to do? We need to go out expecting we need to expect the seed to get planted or the seed to get watered or maybe in some cases an opportunity for the harvesting of the seed. Do you know many times why we don't expect? I'm going to tell you why we don't expect. Because of previous defeat. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes if we've had a lot of discouragement recently, maybe uh, some gospel opportunities haven't gone so well that we get a little discouraged about it. And I'm just going to tell you many times, friends, when there is a negative response to a gospel opportunity, God's working 
You may not even realize it. I mentioned Glenn Shunk this morning. I was listening to a tape by Glenn Shunk. I just got, a, I got a, 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 out an old album of cassette tapes. His last revival meeting, he died at 59. He was younger than I am when he died. And his last revival meeting uh, is in cassette tapes, and I was uh, listening to it, and he, he gave the story of how he got saved. And it was amazing to me because there was a guy that would come into the place of work. I think there was a little one of those drugstores or something like that that had a dinner counter. Some of you know what I'm talking about, or a little restaurant with a dinner counter. This is back probably in the 50s, maybe 60s. I had to do my math to figure out exactly when it was. And a Christian would come in every day. And uh, uh, I don't have time to go into the full story, but I mean, at times... Glenn Shunt would explode, and he said, I just use language. I turned the air blue. I cussed him out. He said, one day, he says, I don't ever want to talk to you again, and just went after it. And he said, amazingly, he said, the guy didn't leave. He told him to leave, but he didn't leave. And uh, to make a long story short, he ended up in a gospel opportunity that very, just moments later. And uh, actually, Glenn Shunk was this close to being saved, and the soul winner picked it up and didn't leave, didn't let the outburst turn him aside. You know what it would have done for most of us, myself included? Probably turned us aside. So you, you, the point is, the key in any gospel opportunity is expecting. Expecting God to do what His Word says He'll do. So uh, let's look at the verse of Scripture. We mentioned it, and this is really the, a key, I believe, for that quietness. Remember what confidence is. It's that feeling of security, that feeling of safety, that feeling uh, that uh, uh, that's the idea of the word there, and that only comes from trust or rest and expectation. Look at verse 6, be careful for nothing. Now, let me just say this for a moment. I tell this to Bible college students. Do you know that God doesn't even want you to be anxious about your spiritual growth? God doesn't want you to be anxious about what's going to happen in just a few minutes, going out, knocking on the door. God says, be anxious for? Yeah, nothing at all. He doesn't want you to be anxious about your finances. He doesn't want you to be anxious about the future. He doesn't want you to be anxious about vaccine mandates. Oh, you know, he doesn't want you to be anxious about anything, political, personal, relational. He says, be anxious for? Nothing. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's stunning. But that's exactly what I believe that verse uh, Isaiah 30, 15 is trying to teach us. Don't be anxious. Don't have full, being full of cares about anything. But here's what you do. Take all those things and everything give thanks. Uh, excuse me. Uh, get back here again and do the same thing this morning. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Okay, for, so God says by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In other words... You pray to God. In other words, the prayer is obviously based on God's character, God's promise. You pray to God. You, you stand on the promises. You ask, and then you thank God. And what does God say happens? Well, it's interesting. The next verse, these are verses we all know. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth uh, underst all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That really, that peace of God is that rest. In returning in rest, you shall be delivered. So how we, are we delivered from fears? How are we delivered from whatever we, we struggle with? How, how do we have God's strength and quietness and confidence? Well, God is simply telling us it comes by, uh, first of all, prayer and then thanksgiving. Thanking God. God, I believe you're going to work. I believe you're going to guide. It's just like Ian, uh, uh, Ian Thomas um, 
God, Adrian Thomas, Thomas got up from that moment with, God, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to expect it. He didn't feel anything. There was no feelings. It was just, God, I'm expecting you to be my, my guidance. I'm expecting you to be my strength. I'm expecting you to be my wisdom. I'm expecting you to do what I cannot do. And like I mentioned, two days later in his Bible class, which he had had for years, he saw 30 young men get saved. He hadn't seen one up to that point. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I believe that's why, because he was at rest. He was expecting. Now, he didn't know exactly what to expect, but he expected God to do what only God could do. And in that sense, he saw God do what only God could do, expecting. So God's just encouraging us to pray based on the Word of God. There's several things I could say. I'm just going to repeat these quickly because I don't want to spend much more time on this. But there's three things that I believe when it comes to evangelism you can pray and expect because they're biblical. Number one, you can pray for Holy Spirit conviction. You can look at these verses a little later for time we won't turn, but Luke chapter 11, verse number 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now, I don't have time to go on the grammar of the verse. It's got great grammar. The Greek grammar is really stunning. There's no article for Holy Spirit, which accentuates really the essence of what the Holy Spirit does. And so really what that request is, God, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit of God, to do in the heart of this one who's in need, to do in their heart what only you can do, and then expect God to do it. Because he said he would. He said, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children... In other words, as depraved human beings, we know how to spoil our kids. We know how to give them good things. How much more your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to anybody who asks them? You know what ask is? You know what the word for ask is? Prayer. That's what prayer is. You ever heard the old English, I pray thee? You know what I pray thee means? I'm asking you. You know what prayer is? It's asking. That's a very important part of it. In fact, John Rice's book, Asking and Receiving Prayer, Asking and Receiving, and he points that out. That's what prayer is. It's asking. There's other aspects of communication with God, but technically prayer is asking. So uh, uh, the first thing we can pray about and have just confidence God's going to do is pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Pray for the Holy Spirit to do in the heart of someone we love and or someone we care about or someone we're going to visit, somebody who's needy. Pray for Holy Spirit conviction. And by the way, they don't know, uh, people don't always respond real nice to Holy Spirit conviction. And number two, you know what you pray for? You pray against the deception of the enemy. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is in the image of God, should shine unto them. It's like this. The devil is very effective at deceiving people. Now, many of you have been reading, praying for effectively for the lost, and this point is really pointed out, that Satan uses all kinds of things to deceive people. False religion, pleasures of sin, hedonism, other distractions in life. And one of the things we can do is pray against the enemy. Okay, you know it. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now that's talking personally, but I believe there's an application here. We can claim the defeat of Satan in the life of someone we're talking to. God, I'm asking you that Satan's deception would be defeated in the heart and mind of that one I'm going to go visit. Okay, especially if you know their name. Pray for him. So let's pray against the deception of the enemy. I don't have time to lay the whole theological uh, groundwork. I've got a whole 45, 50 minute message where I deal with these three things. So you please pardon the brief uh, overview. I believe I preached the message here several years ago. But the last thing you can pray with expectancy, number one, pray for Holy Spirit conviction. Number two, pray against the enemy. It's deception. And number three, uh, you can pray for hornets. Pray for hornets. You say at this time of year? Yep, this time of year. Because we're not talking about literal hornets. Uh, hornets are mentioned three times in the Bible. Two times God says, I'm going to send them. And one time he says he has sent them. At the end of Joshua, he basically says, I sent them. 
And basically the idea of those hornets, they were effective in doing God's will there in the uh, conquest of Canaan. The job was so great, he said, you take care of this, I'll take care of these. And you know what God did to take care of some of those towns? He sent in hornets. You know what I call it? God's neutron bomb. You know what a neutron bomb is? They drop it, all it does is kill people. It leaves the infrastructure. That was kind of the big thing. You know, boy, if you drop the bomb, you keep, keep all the infrastructure, all the people just disintegrate, okay? Uh, just to kind of put it out there, that's the neutron bomb. That was back about 30, 40 years ago. That was a big deal. You know what hornets are? God's neutron bomb. That's what he did. In other words, uh, there were literally towns, that the Bible doesn't tell us about it, just tell us it happened. There were literally towns that, ch that the children of Israel came into and the place was empty. Because hornets had come into town and guess what? People left. Now, I want to tell you, every person that left that town left with a free will decision. In other words, the hornets didn't pick them up and drop them in the Mediterranean Sea and they drown. No, God didn't. Uh, the hornets didn't do that. The hornets uh, came and they all had to make a decision. Do I stay or do I leave? And all of them made the same decision. They made the decision to leave. God did not violate their free will. He just motivated them to make a free will decision to leave. You know what hornets do? There are things God can bring into people's life that do not violate their free will, but I'm telling you, God knows every man's breaking point. He knows every man's breaking point. You know when you're praying for hornets? God, would you do what you take to bring that person to the point where they'll get saved? Now, I believe that God knows every man's breaking point. There might be some who say, are there some people who have no breaking point? They're just that kind of made it so hard that they'll never get saved. I can't answer that. I'm not sure the Bible does. But I think a lot of people have breaking points, and God knows where it is. And so the hornets is praying, God, you know what it takes. God, continue to work in their life. God, don't let them go on this. God, I'm praying you continue to work. I remember several years ago, I saw probably an ultimate example of hornets. I was in a local church down in southern Alabama, and there I noticed there was a a young man in a wheelchair, and I noticed he had very limited mobility. His hands were curled up, and he, he could, had a little toggle switch, and he was pretty good with uh, his wheelchair. His, his um, wheelchair, had, you know, it was pretty, uh, uh, at that point, cutting-edge technology. He could, you know, zero turn, that kind of thing. And, and um, so one day I was just chatting with him, and I didn't really talk about his condition, and he, he took his hand up like this. He said, Brother Van Gelder, and he said, you see that track rack over there? He said, there's a track over there, he said, that I wrote. It's, it's my story. He said, would you read it? I said, absolutely. I walked over there, took the track off, noticed I saw this young man standing, no wheelchair, just standing, had a Superman shirt on, and on the front of the track, track, I stuck it in my pocket. I went home, and I, of course, was very curious, and I pulled it out and began to read it. His own testimony there, he was basically uh, just profligate, just was unsaved, living in sin. And uh, one day went down to the coastline, wasn't too far there, and Alabama wasn't too far from, I think the coast went into the Florida plant panhandle, and he and some buddies, and, and you've heard the story more than once, he dove into the water and thought the water was deeper than it was, and hit his head on the bottom of the, the sand there, and of course you know sand is pretty unforgivable uh, when it's wet like that, and hit that, and he broke his neck. He floated to the top in the surf, his friends thought he was, he was such a jokester, his friends thought he was joking, but finally they realized they weren't. They pulled him out of the surf, and, and of course, he was basically considered a quadriplegic, even though he had limited mobility in his arms, they considered him a quadriplegic. And, and he talked about after that he came to get, and he got saved. And it was a gospel track. It was a very interesting gospel track. Well, I remember the next night I came back, and I was talking to him about his story, and here's what he said to me. He said, Brother Van Gelderen, don't feel sorry for me. He said, I honestly believe that if I had not broken my neck, I would have never gotten saved and gone to hell. 
And here's what he said to me. I would rather be saved in this wheelchair than with two good arms and legs going to hell. Now you hear me, that's, those are pretty severe hornets. But I'm telling you, friends, that's a severe example of what hornets are. And I will tell you, don't have time to go into it, but I believe we can pray for hornets. You say, well, preacher, is God going to put everybody in a wheelchair? Obviously not. God knows for many people, for most people, doesn't take that severe of situation. Some people it does. I've known some pretty hard young people. It takes a lot to wake them up. But, um, but most people it doesn't. But the point is, you're praying for God to orchestrate circumstances in their life. So they'll get to the breaking point where they'll come to Jesus. Listen, I'm talking to people in this room who got saved, particularly as adults, and you can remember God's hornets in your life. God did certain things to set you up so you were ready to get saved. Some of you are hard, whatever. It's, uh, I remember years ago, my dad told the story of a man he tried to witness to many times. And he said every time the guy would argue this and argue this, and he was an atheist, and all these arguments. And one time, I uh, can't even remember what the circumstances were, but my dad was back in his presence. And the guy said, Preacher, i got a couple more arguments I want to throw your way. And my dad looked at him and said, let's forget about the arguments. Why don't you just get saved? And his lower lips started quivering, tears started streaming down his face. He said, I think I will. I'll get saved. I don't know what the hornets were in his life, but something was there. So let me encourage us as we consider going out, not just tonight, but really in all of our lives, let's, let's expect. Let's expect God to, to work based on our prayers and our thanksgiving based on His prayers. And I know there's three things we can pray tonight. Holy Spirit conviction. Satanic deception to go down. And for God to use circumstances to prepare their heart for the gospel. So here's what I'm going to do tonight. Now, I'm not going to have a come forward invitation. But I am going to ask this. Let's just, uh, I know five minutes is a, like a long time, a long bit of silence. If there is a pianist that can come, it might be helpful and just going to ask somebody to play the piano, and I'm going to ask every one of us to bow our heads. And if you know how to pray, I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray for the. If you're not going visiting tonight, pray for those who are who do. If you are going visiting tonight, let's pray. When we do that, what are we praying for? Holy Spirit conviction, satanic deception to go down, whatever the, whatever Satan sold them on, false religion, whatever, to be exposed, and for hornets, and certainly whether the seed is planted tonight, watered, or perhaps in some cases harvested, those are three very important prayers. And I certainly would encourage you not to just pray them tonight, but as you go out and put a face with the name, you, you have the opportunity to continue to pray uh, that God will do these things. So we're going to give you uh, just a few minutes here, uh, three, four, uh, four or five minutes, and then uh, our, well, they'll come and explain what's going to happen. But if you would, just in the next moments as the piano plays, uh, let's, let's pray about these three things. Would you do that? <laughs> 